From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the Republican Convention kicked off today in Charlotte, North Carolina, where delegates nominated President Trump for a second term as President of the United States. I was there as a delegate from my home state of Louisiana. Paris Denard, RNC Senior Advisor, will join me later with a preview of what Americans can expect to hear this week from the virtual portion of the Republican Convention. Also, North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest will be here with a contrast between what the two major parties are offering to voters. So what is at stake in this election? Do the policies and promises of the two major parties and their candidates really matter? Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, joins me as well. And on Friday, a judge in California fined a church $3,000 for failing to comply with Governor Gavin Newsom's coronavirus shutdown. Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeed Calvary Church in Ventura County says that's a small price to pay for liberty. He'll join us later. And another California pastor, this one in Pasadena, is being threatened not only with fines but with jail time for refusing to comply with the restrictions placed on churches by the government. Matt Staver of Liberty Council, who is representing Pastor Cheon of Harvest Rock Church, is here with more. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins, the same on Parlor. All right, election season is, uh, how many were, I guess, I say we're in full swing. And the DNC meeting last week, the RNC starting their convention this week. The, uh, the contrast between the two parties, I think, is going to be on full display as the RNC uh, and the, uh, the Trump campaign lays out their agenda. Uh, we saw what uh, the DNC had to offer last week, the Democratic National Committee. So, what uh, what is the what are the contrasting issues? Joining now to talk more about this is the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, who's uh, hosting us here, uh, Governor Dan Forrest. Uh, Governor Forrest, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Tony, and welcome to North Carolina. Well, always good to be here. Uh, always good to be here. Um, the president was here today, and, and he made reference to uh, kind of what's happening here in North Carolina with uh, with uh, the governor. And I want to play just a short clip of, uh, of what he had to say as he greeted the delegates here today. I just want to thank the people of North Carolina because, to be honest with you, I felt an obligation to be here. You have a, a governor who's in a total shutdown mood. I guarantee on November 4th, it'll all open up. It'll be fine, like most other states. On November 4th, you know, these Democrat governors, they love shutdown until after the election's over because they want to make our numbers look as bad as possible for the economy. Now, Dan Forrest, you're the lieutenant governor here in the state of North Carolina. We've talked about this. Um, there is a... Uh, well, let me just put it this way. Let me rephrase it. There, there does appear to be an agenda behind some of the Democratic governors in terms of the shutdowns and the restrictions we're seeing applied in the wake of this coronavirus. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, not science and data, Tony. That's for sure. You know, if you're a Democrat, you just get to claim the word science, and all the media jumps up and down and says, yeah, science, and there's no science to back any of this up. I mean, in North Carolina, we haven't had nearly the cases or the deaths of many other states, and yet we're the most shut-down state out there. We 
that still don't have the gyms open, one of two states where, you know, we have governors claiming he's trying to keep everybody healthy, but at the same time, he's keeping everybody from being healthy. You can't go to a gym. You uh, have a mask mandate here for everywhere you go. Our restaurants are only open at 50% capacity. Bars aren't open. You go on down the list. Schools are closed down. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is a it's a fundamental election here based on foundational principles of our country. Do you believe in uh, big government control or do you believe in freedom? That's what this is coming down to. Well, and if you're looking for where the parties are on these issues, my suggestion would be you probably don't want to go to the media as a source of information because you've seen firsthand here in North Carolina where the media is not reporting the full story of what's been occurring in the wake of some of the riots and such. Yeah, I mean, on multiple fronts, actually, but certainly with the riots and the destruction, uh, the vast majority of people in North Carolina don't know that downtown Raleigh was destroyed and downtown Charlotte was destroyed, downtown Fayetteville. Uh, They just don't know this. They have no idea because the media has never reported on it. It's absolutely unbelievable, Tony, that downtown Raleigh, our capital city, is still boarded up today. Just a couple blocks away, the governor went out of his way to protect the governor's mansion with multiple layers of security, and rightly so, as he should. But just two blocks from his mansion, he allowed everything to be destroyed, and they told the police to stand down. They told the National Guard to stand down. And you have to wonder, what is the agenda here? What's going on? Why would they do that? Uh, You know, law and order is foundational as well to uh, this nation. So, again, you're talking about foundational principles of what the government should be doing, and they're advocating the responsibility. You know, Dan Forrest, you've been uh, in, in the this realm for a while. I mean, your background is a businessman. You were an architect, but you've been in the political arena and around it for some time. Ha- have you ever seen a sharper contrast between the driving ideologies and agendas of the two parties? No, I, I don't know how you could. I don't think if you have seen it before, I don't think our nation would have survived. I think, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a time for choosing, as Ronald Reagan says. We are, in this election, just 70 days away, we are going to choose the future direction of the United States of America. Are we going to uh, defend freedom and liberty and uh, freedom economics, or are we going to allow it to go the way of socialism or even worse, Marxism, as we have seen marching across our nation? So, you know, I, I don't think we've seen anything close to this uh, in past elections in America. And when you look at the two parties, I'm going to talk a little bit more about with this with uh, Senator Roy Blunt. But when you look at what the two parties are offering in terms of, you know, not just the platitudes and the rhetoric and the speeches, but when you look at the actual policies uh, and the, the uh, you know, what they put on paper, it is a sharp contrast. I mean, I would encourage people to read the Democratic Party platform uh, because it looks like a manifesto. Uh, of for Marxist, I mean, it 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 is calling yeah. for everything that we have been working to fix from the previous administration, plus some. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a revised Green New Deal. It was one of those things that was basically laughed off the stage when it when it came up. Something that was going to put America out of business, really put the whole world out of business when they got implemented. Now you have Joe Biden talking about a revised Green New Deal. You have you know Democrats that are marching to defund the police all across America. I mean, how does it get any more basic than that? I mean, we need to de- defend the police, not defund the police. You have uh, Democrats all over the country who are kneeling for the flag, not standing for the freedom that it represents, and the men and women who have died and fought for this nation all around the world and fought for other nations around the world for freedom. 
uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it really is so basic, Tony. It, 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 uh, uh, it, it defies any logic, uh, and it's certainly something that we better get a hold of. And we haven't even talked, I know you have Rob McCoy coming on soon, but we haven't even talked about uh, religious liberty. I mean, that's under attack as well. And, you know, the first thing to shut down is your churches. You can keep abortion clinics open in North Carolina, but you have to shut down churches. And, and effectively, churches are still shut down now because of the, because of the mask orders. So, um, man, this is a, an interesting experiment um, uh, for the United States of America right now. You know, uh, at Washington Watch, we do not endorse or support candidates. We're just kind of giving a, a platform to, to discuss what's happening. But what is happening in North Carolina is a really kind of a, a, a microcosm of the macro what's happening in the nation because voters in, in North Carolina are going to have that choice between these two competing and conflicting worldviews. And I mean, I think North Carolina is a battleground state. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a critical state. Yeah. And you're seeing that you're really seeing it play out in battleground states and uh, you know, states that aren't battleground states, they can open up again. I've had just this week, I've had governor Christy Nome from South Dakota here who state has never been closed down. I had Tate Reeves here yesterday, uh, and Mississippi's opening back up, and kids are back in school, and they're playing sports. Uh, and in North Carolina, we're shut down, and, and people don't seem to know, because the media doesn't want to tell them, that other states that have far greater problems, even in North Carolina, related to coronavirus deaths and cases, are opening back up and getting back about life. And I've said from the beginning, Tony, we can do two things at once. This is the United States of America. We can protect the most vulnerable because we know exactly who they are and where they live. And we can allow the rest of people to get back to life and livelihoods. I mean, the things that aren't talked about related to what's going on in America right now, all the things that seem to be behind the scenes, but they're really not suicide, depression, anxiety, uh, addiction, drug addiction, alcohol, alcoholism. Uh, domestic abuse. How come these things aren't on the front page of the paper? Why are why is the media not talking about this? Uh, those are the kinds of questions that we should all be asking because I believe there's a broader agenda here that has to do with politics, uh, has to do with this election in November, and I think things will be drastically different, as the president said, come November fourth. I think you're right. Although I would say that I'm concerned that it might once once the government learns that it can control the public to the degree that it desires, especially when it comes to the churches. I'm afraid that that will be something they pull out of their bag of tricks uh, in the future, and that's why I think it's so important that we draw the lines now and say no more. That's why leadership matters, right? You get the right leaders. You you have uh, uh, godly leaders, righteous leaders, and certainly uh, leaders who want to uphold and defend the Constitution of their state and their nation, and then you don't have to worry about these things. But if you don't do that, uh, then it's a free-for-all in our country. And that's why this election, every election is important, and and everybody should, uh, in my view, make it a priority to show up and vote at every election. But this election, this fall, is is absolutely critical to the future of our nation, to our states, and to our communities. Uh, Absolutely. Either our... uh best and brightest days could be yet ahead or our darkest days yet ahead and in just 70 days the people of north carolina and the people of america are going to make that decision and people need to just quite frankly i think turn off the television and the media and stop the fear i think the fear of the coronavirus and all this other stuff has is 
far in disproportion to the actual threat, and I think it's paralyzing people, yeah. and it's causing them to hide. And, and we need to get out. We need to be sharing the word about what's at stake here in our nation, registering people to vote and committing the turnout to vote on Election Day. That's right. Uh, you know, there's never been a, a better time to get busy and, and be involved in the political system than today. But as a just as a, a, a nugget of hope to people, um, you know, 99.7 percent survival rate for this virus among tested cases. Uh, so it's actually much higher than that overall in the country. So we have reason to hope we're going to get through right. this. And just like every other virus in the history of, our, of the world, we've learned to live with it and we'll learn to live with this one, too. Right. We, we, we have to. Life cannot stop. And, and, and I'm evidence that you can get the virus, survive it, and do just fine. Dan Forrest, thanks so much for taking time out to, uh, to join us this afternoon. And thanks for hosting us here in North Carolina. Thanks so much, Tony, for choosing to come to North Carolina. Have a great day. All right. You too. Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest here in North Carolina. The virus is serious, no doubt about it, but we cannot be ruled by fear. And and I, this is this has some deep spiritual roots in my view. We're going to continue to talk about this. But coming up next, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt joins us to talk about the the, the policy contrast. Why do these things matter? Does it does it really matter? The ideologies, the policies, and the promises of the parties and their candidates. We're going to talk about that next year on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Do Christians have a biblical obligation to participate in government? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them while casting their ballots? How should pastors think about politics, and how can they shepherd their congregations well during an election season? The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications for all areas of our life, including politics. Christians must be prepared to grapple with the moral issues of our day, the reality of our two-party system, and follow our Christian convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates that support clear biblical values. Family Research Council has partnered with 21 state family policy councils for a new edition of Biblical Principles for Political Engagement. This booklet provides biblical wisdom and clear answers to pivotal questions to help you navigate the political landscape. This publication exists to facilitate careful thinking about issues and encourage God-honoring political engagement that filters all issues and candidates through a biblical worldview. To read the full publication, visit frc.org engage. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. 
What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on Twitter or Parlor, it is at T Perkins. All right, so what is at stake in this election? Do the, do the policies and the promises of the two major parties and their candidates really matter? I mean, just, you know, th- does this stuff really matter? Well, join me now to talk more about this, Murray, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. He is the chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee. Uh, Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, it's great to be with you. Thanks for taking uh, time with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, joining us. I saw you from a distance uh, at the uh, convention. I was uh, in the Louisiana section, so not far from you. Um, yes. But uh, l- let's talk about this for a little bit. I know y- your focus, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, you- you've long been focused on policy. You work on those things because those things matter. You're the chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, do do the, the the conflicting or contrasting policy ideas of the two parties really matter in the end? I think they do matter, and I think if you look at uh, what the president said he would do and what the president has done, you can see that what he said about uh, faith-based groups, what he said about life, what he said uh, about regulatory behavior, what he said about getting the economy going – are all things that uh, were part of his commitment to the American people. Uh, And I think it's also pretty clear from watching uh, the Democrat convention last week that uh, they want it to be about personalities and uh, not about the issues. And and I think uh, the president today speaking to the delegates at the Republican nominating uh, meeting of the convention uh, made it very clear that he intends for people to be sure that they know what's on the ballot, and it's not just personalities, it's the future of the country. It is. It is the future of the country. It's, an, it's a governing philosophy, one that will move America forward, as has been evidenced in the last four years, and one that will hold America back, take our freedoms, uh, stymie our faith. And so there's a clear contrast. And I do think there's a reason why the Democratic Party didn't focus so much on policies, because if you read their platform, which I have, and you contrast that with the Republican platform, which the the 2016 platform has just been advanced uh, to continue to be the governing platform, the guiding platform. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a sharper contrast between what the two parties are offering the American people. 
You know, I think that's right. And I've been asked by some reporters today, well, there's not even a new platform for the party. And I said, you know, the president's not running on a new set of ideas. He's running to continue to do more of what he's been doing, more of what he's been doing about judges that believe that's what the law and the Constitution says that matter, not what they think it should say that matter. It's about uh, bringing faith-based institutions uh, where they can be part of the greater society uh, involving government to be allowed to do that. It's about uh, continuing rolling back regulations that don't make sense and looking for economic opportunity. There's there's not any there's no segment of our society that failed to benefit from that in some way. Uh, during the first three years of the Trump administration, nor would we be coming back as quickly as we are if it wasn't for those uh, strongly held uh, beliefs that the president has pursued. And uh, they're very much uh, still as fresh today as they were four years ago. And what the president is telling the American people is, uh, if you want more of this, give me more of an opportunity to do it. And uh, if you look at the platform on the other side, like you just said, you can see why they don't, they don't really want to talk about uh, defunding the police or reimagining the police right, or a Medicare for all or whatever. Uh, you know, that's a platform that I think the American people will reject if that's what the election is about. And I think it was clear today that that's what the president intends to make this election about, his record uh, and their desire to go in a new direction. Yeah, there's a couple of things that jump out at me when I read the Democratic Party platform. One is that what's missing, um, you know, God and an understanding of of, uh, the importance of faith in our country, that's missing. But when I I look at, you know, for instance, the president here, this administration has been dealt with some really significant challenges, the coronavirus. But um, as we've seen this rapid response to it, it's been unprecedented, in part because of, again, this, this points to the two philosophies of the parties, conflicting philosophies, ideologies, is that the president looks to the private sector to come alongside and work with government. But when you look at the Democratic Party platform, they want to abolish really the private sector in terms of its ability to, to work with government. Everything has to be government-owned and controlled. And, and that, that's a big, big difference. Well, I think that's right. And I think even the faith-based institutions uh, will struggle under that view that uh, the, the government has to be in charge of everything. And the only way to do it is the government to do it. And you know, I think you and I, at least I, I know this is how I feel about this. Four years ago, I, I had some wondering about whether the president would be as committed on these issues uh, as uh, he was saying he was going to be. I thought Mike Pence was a good uh, verifier that uh, the kind of judges he uh, would uh, would, uh, would make and the kind of actions he would take. I that's a good sign. But the really good sign is the president's issues since he became president, whether they were issues We're kind of losing you there. Senator, we're up against a break, and we're, and we're losing you. Sorry to, to, that you faded out on us. Um, but I can finish his thought, because he is absolutely right on, is that 
this president has exceeded expectations. There were some questions that, um, you know, whether or not these things were real. But I can tell you there is a um, there is a record that has been established. In fact, you can see it. I'll, I'll be happy to send it to you. Text me the word actions at five one five five five. That's five one five five five. The word actions. That's plural. I'll send you an a up-to-date list of the accomplishments of this administration on faith, family, and freedom, the issues that I think are essential to making America great again. America has to be good first. It has to have a solid foundation. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Paris Denard with the RNC to tell us about what we can expect for the rest of the week for the virtual portion of the RNC Commission. That's coming up next. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has released a new three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. In this series, Petrina Mosley, FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth through studying and applying the Bible's text. Now's the time to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible and learning what it says about God, humanity, and the power of Scripture. During this season of isolation, devote time to the Lord and seek out His meaning for you. In times of crisis and any time, this blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through His Word. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but your heart. To learn more, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we've been talking about, the RNC convention actually held a convention. I was there as a delegate uh, here in Charlotte, North Carolina. But now we transition to kind of the virtual convention that will be taking place the rest of the week. Joining us now to uh, to talk about what we can expect, Senior Advisor here at the RNC, Paris Denard. Paris, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's a pleasure. Okay, so what can uh, what can folks expect um, from here on out? I mean, uh, we're going to have some programming tonight and on through the rest of the week. What can people expect to see? 
Well, it's going to be a, a, a stark contrast to what we saw at the Democrat convention, which was very dark, depressing, and and and, and showed America, showed an America that I didn't recognize and didn't know. Um, this convention theme is honoring the great American story, and so tonight's focus will be on the land of promise. And we have a tremendous lineup of speakers uh, that are going to talk to the American people. Senator Tim Scott, uh, majority with Steve Scalise, Matt Gates out of Florida. Jim Jordan, great congressman, and former ambassador Nikki Haley, our own chairwoman Ronald Daniel. And, and I want to point out this one person, Representative Vernon Jones, a Democrat who's, who is, how to say, a black American supporting President Trump out of Georgia. Um, you know, that's an important thing to have on, the, on, on display for people to see and hear that President Trump does have support from the black community, but also support from Democrats. And we also have from Donald Trump Jr. and Kimberly Gilfield and and people like uh, the McCloskeys who defended their home uh, after some rogue uh, protesters tried to come on their property. So we're, we should look for an uplifting convention that's going to to talk about America's greatness, the promise of this country, uh, and, and what the president has done and what he plans to do for the next four years, which, which the agenda was rolled out last night, talking about fighting for you. And so we'll see a lot of these positive, uplifting uh, things as the president and the team contrast the president's tremendous record in this four years, conservative record in four years, to that of Joe Biden's 47-plus years uh, combined with Kamala Harris's years of actually inaction, lack of leadership, and doing things that actually benefit the American people historically or things that would benefit the American people moving forward. So, Paris, the the president d- did make an appearance today at the uh, the convention, mm-hmm. but he'll also be speaking tonight, will he not? The president is going to uh, give uh, comments and, and be present every night of the the, the convention. Uh, I thought it was important for him to come to Charlotte uh, out of respect to not only the citizens and the delegates that were gathered there, like yourself, but to to honor the process. We made a commitment to be in Charlotte. The governor, Cooper, decided not to uh, live up to his end of the deal, but the president still honored Charlotte and, and, as our place of the convention, which is something that Joe Biden didn't do for Wisconsin. Matter of fact, the, it was the Trump team that was president of Wisconsin, while Joe Biden uh, remained in his basement uh, and remained in Delaware, which I think is pretty shameful. But, yes, the president is going to be addressing the people because he wants the people to know he's accessible He's, he's available, and he's going to campaign and earn their vote. And he's going to be in, in making himself present and available all across the country. Yeah, I think it's also important. The president's been out, uh, and he made reference to this today, and I agree with him, that you know this whole thing with the coronavirus has been politicized and you know some right. democratic governors using it to basically shut everything down i think the president's showing look you can get out you can move around uh, we we need to resume life as normal that's true and other thing is that the president has been very optimistic about what is happening with the coronavirus in terms of what we can do um, I am. I am. I was disturbed when I heard Joe Biden say there's no miracle coming for COVID-19. I don't know if you heard him say that, Tony, but it really was off-putting to me because, as a man of faith myself, I know you are as well. To hear somebody who wants to be the leader of our country totally wipe out faith, totally wipe out opportunities for miracles to happen. And when you see with Operation Warp Speed and the stuff that happens to private and public partnerships with COVID-19 and this administration. 
things have been miraculous. And so I am so happy that we have a leader in President Trump who, even in the face of COVID-19, continues to lead and continues to be president and relies on data and science to show the hypocrisy of the Democrat radical party that is using politics rather than data and scientists and facts to keep the government, keep the economy, and keep schools closed. Yeah, there's, uh, there's benefit to them in spreading fear. Uh, about the virus. Right. I mean, the, the fear is spreading much quicker than the virus is spreading. I can assure you right. of that. Uh, Paris, thanks so much for uh, for, for joining us. And uh, as always, appreciate uh, having uh, members of the RNC on the program. Well, thanks for all you do. Uh, we appreciate you, Tony. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Paris and our senior advisor at the, uh, the RNC. It, you know, look, I, I think it's clear the president made that point that the uh, the Democratic governors are keeping things shut down to affect, I, I think, number one, it's the, the fear factor, but also I think it is to, to uh, alter the outcomes of the election. All right. Uh, speaking of Democratic governors keeping things locked up, uh, they're wanting to actually lock up some pastors in California for meetings. We're going to be talking with uh, Rob McCoy, who was fined on Friday by a judge in California for continuing to meet. And then we're going to talk with Matt Staver of Liberty Council uh, about another pastor who's not only facing fines, but jail time if he continues to meet at his church. And not just the pastor. Wait till uh, you hear what Matt has to say. All right. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right on the other side of this break. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increased pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org sexuality. Again, that's frc.org sexuality. In today's culture, it can be difficult for men to navigate what it means to be a man and to find clear models of masculinity and manhood. There are many competing ideas out there and even confusion around the basic concepts of gender and sex. Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate leaders who understand the issues of the day. 
These issues will invest in unpacking our role as defenders, providers, instructors, and battle buddies so that men can have generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Join us at one of our upcoming events in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, or Virginia. Learn more about Stand Courageous and find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. StandCourageous.com. With horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that over 1,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. News stories about the assaults in Nigeria are rarely reported in mainstream media outlets. But when they are, they're regularly explained away as effects of climate change, local feuds, or religious wars for which both sides bear equal responsibility. For more information about the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, read FRC's publication, The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria, at frc.org slash Nigeria. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T. Perkins. As I mentioned at the top of the program, uh, we are in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, broadcasting today. All right. A California court on Friday find, uh, or rather they found Pastor Rob McCoy and his church, Godspeak Calvary Chapel Church, in contempt after holding indoor church services. Ventura County Superior Court Judge Vincent O'Neill Jr. issued the ruling fining the Calvary Chapel Church $3,000. Pastor McCoy said that was a small price to pay for liberty. Join me now is Pastor McCoy of Godspeak Calvary Chapel Church. Pastor McCoy, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. So did this come as a surprise on Friday, uh, the finding of the judge? I had no idea what to expect. I'd been told all kinds of things, but I, I think the surprise was their three witnesses, their health officers that had come out and written up a 61-page report on the violations of our of our church as far as no social distancing and not wearing masks. Uh, a congregant took a picture of these three health officers in the car all together not wearing masks. So they, they perjured themselves, and, and their testimony was still permitted, and Judge O'Neill reduced the fine from $1,000 per incident to 500 which made it $3,000. They asked for attorney fees, but um, he wasn't inclined to give that. And, of course, this Sunday we were again in violation of the restraining order. We were wide open. So what's next? What, what's the next step here? I mean, you, you've been meeting t- since May 31st, as we talked about right. last time. And, and, and you're not the only one. There's many churches doing that. You know, for a while... You know, when we were trying to figure out where this virus was going, you know, there was this voluntary compliance. But now it, it, it is more facts come to the forefront. Uh, churches are saying, wait a minute, we, we need to meet. The people need to be together. So you've been doing you've been meeting for a while. What, what What's the next step here? What happens next? Well, we're, we're going to have a cross complaint. Uh, we we're, we're going to have a case that will go before the judge at the end of this month. 
uh, and the issue at hand is, and, and this was off bcemergency.com, it's the county numbers. The issue at hand is that there's been 102 deaths in our county of 856,000. And, and of the 102 deaths, only two of them died from COVID. 100 died with COVID. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had an overdose uh, young man, and they attributed it to a COVID death because he had COVID when he overdosed. It, the, the numbers are a mess. They know it. I, I said it in the courthouse, and we're going to have a chance to be heard. And everyone's starting to get sick of these draconian measures that are destroying our community. And they're, they're rising up. People are upset. Well, I, I, I want to get to the foundation of that in terms of as a pastor, you know, how you see this. But first, I, I want to go back to this kind of double standard. I mean, you talked about the right. health officers being in the car, no mask altogether, no social distancing. I mean, I see it on airplanes as I travel. Every seat on the plane is packed. Uh, you know, there's not much social distancing there. I wish there was at times, but there's not. Um, mm-hmm. But even like at the Walmart. Uh, the Walmarts where the, the, uh, hundreds of cars are in the parking lot, hundreds uh, of people going inside. I mean, w- why the different standard for the church? Well, the, the, the idea, especially in California, I, I, I can only assume, Tony, but the, the, the two entities where you do polling are, are churches and schools. And if they're going to do vote by mail, they've got to close churches and schools. Uh, and if they're going to, I mean, the only... The two mandated reporters for abuse, our churches and schools are closed. And spousal abuse and child abuse, is, the numbers are going through the roof. And they're not even addressing any of these issues, and they don't understand the essential nature of the church, that when the church is closed, there's a five times greater suicide rate. And they're not addressing any of those issues. And they, they politicize this virus, and it's awful, and people are suffering. Yeah. And I want to make it about church and state, but the reality is it's about Americans losing their liberty in general, and liberty is God's idea, and the church has to stand on behalf of that. So true. When you, I, I want some would push back and say, "Well, Pastor, you can do online services. You, there's other ways. You don't have to meet in person." How do you respond to that? That's like watching a fireplace on your internet. There's no warmth, and and there's the, the idea. There's the We've been open since May 31st, not a single case, not one, not one case. And, and this virus, we know, early on, we didn't know sterility. Now we do, yes. 65 and older with comorbidity. So we've done our homework. Open the churches. People need to fellowship. They need encouragement. They want to worship God in community. And any, any epidemiologist worth their weight understands that a virus, that the people need to be exposed to it to the extent that they build immunity. And we just allowed them to, to close the churches for no reason, and they'll do it. California's a perfect example. And then they put us on the Internet, and they have us do live stream, and then the tech oligarchy, you know, censors our videos because we put frontline doctors on. It doesn't work that way. We have to demand liberty because it's an inalienable right that God has given us. And we, it's our right and our duty to push back. And and I and you're right. And I think, you know, having, you know, taken that time where we weren't meeting and then meeting again, it's, there's something dynamic about coming together as a body of believers. I think it's why we're told to do so in the New Testament. But there's also, I think, a spiritual element 
to the benefit of our community. When churches are vibrant, they're meeting, they're engaged, it has an effect that benefits everyone in a community. I, 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 is it coincidence that we've seen the, the, the riots and the violence in the streets of America while our sh- churches have been shut down? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's a correlation. I think there's a relationship. If you read Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago, uh, you, you read that and you see that the thing they closed in the Soviet Union were the churches and the gymnasiums. They, they, they muzzle you, they distance you, and, and they do it without any empirical data. And, and, and then they call you a conspiracy theorist and everything else because you question. And, and you just look at the numbers and they, they can't even defend the numbers anymore. And, and, and if we don't do something for the sake of our neighbors, 65% of our restaurants in our county will never open. People have lost their life savings, they, mm-hmm. and, and the elected officials say we're in this together. No, they, no, they aren't. They've never missed a paycheck. Our, our people are suffering. They're, they're, it's awful what they're doing, and we must love our neighbors and protect them from an overreaching government. We must. So, Pastor Rob McCoy, for those, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up for this question uh, because I've heard it, it's been asked of me, but those that would say, well, Scripture says that we're to uh, we're to render unto Caesar, we're to obey the authorities. Um, how do you respond to that? I, I agree. That's Romans 13. It's a wonderful passage. But what I would say to anyone who'd say I'm in violation of it, I'd say, if you don't understand the form of government in which you live in a constitutional republic that declares the authority to be the first three words of the preamble, we the people. And our elected officials govern by our consent. And if they violate the Constitution they swore to defend, our declaration says it's our right and our duty to push back, to protect those inalienable rights endowed by our Creator. So I am applying Romans 13. I'm not in disobedience. I'm in obedience to Romans 13. Because we are here for the good of mankind. We must engage in the public square. The word ecclesia doesn't mean church. It means public square. It means assembly. Tyndale and the Geneva Bible translated it correctly. It was King James who put church because he wanted to control it. And and we must – Galatians 3, Tony, the law is a schoolteacher, a guardian to protect us and point us to Christ until faith comes. And as Christians, we have to contend in that public square for good civic laws that protect the entirety of our community until faith comes. And we're not doing that. We're just not doing that. I, I, would, I, I would agree 100%. And I, I want to go back and just underscore what you said earlier. We've talked about on this program before. You know, when we didn't know anything about this virus, when it was new, and, and when there was this kind of request for voluntary compliance, hey, let's 15 days to sh- slow the spread, and then it went to 30. You know, hey, until we can get a handle on this, we'll, we'll do our part. But it's very evident now as more information has come to the forefront, this is really about control, as you, as you pointed out. And it is also correct that this is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And it's, it is a rule of law, which is the Constitution. And no one person, no governor, no mayor, uh, no county official uh, has the ultimate say in our country. And I do think it's time for pastors uh, to, to stand in, in a, in a, rightful manner, as you are, uh, and, and challenge those unlawful authorities. So I applaud you for your stand. Uh, I, I hope other pastors will stand with you, as uh, I know there are, there are hundreds 
uh, of churches that are opening there. Just in some jurisdictions, they're being targeted. Uh, but I, I do want to thank you, uh, Pastor Roy, uh, Rob, for, uh, for for setting an example uh, to other pastors. Well, thank you, Tony. And I, I, last thing I'd share with you is that the, the supervisors and the elected officials, I've worked with all of them, having been the mayor of our city. And I, I was with them during the shooting of the borderline where we lost 12 of our young kids and two of them were our congregants. I love these elected officials. They're my friends. But but they're trapped by a state that is overreaching, and they're scared too. And and they're looking to the church for some moral leadership, and and pushing back. They're they're yielding. No, no inspectors came this Sunday, and we were packed to capacity. They don't want to pursue us anymore. They realize that the church is going to open, and they've settled with that. And I think if everyone starts doing that, our community is going to be healthier. The church is essential, especially right now. No question. Pastor Rob McCoy, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. We'll be in touch very soon. Thank you, Tony. Bless you. All right. Have a great day. Another California pastor is not only facing fines, but potential jail time. This pastor in Pasadena. Uh, joining me now is uh, Matt Staver. He is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council, and he is uh, representing this pastor. Matt, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Tony. Thank you. Uh, I, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to bring in uh, this case. We were just talking with Pastor Rob McCoy, uh, but this this is they're not backing off. Uh, t- tell us about the case that you're working on. No, they're getting worse. And in fact, we just received a few days ago a letter from the Pasadena prosecutor's office to Pastor Che of Harvest Rock Church, whom we represent, saying that every day that they meet is a criminal charge up to a year in prison and a thousand dollars every day and these are daily fines and even more so tony shockingly it doesn't just apply to the pastor and to the church it applies to all the staff anybody who works with the church and any parishioner who dares walk through the doors of that church to worship god criminal charges and a thousand dollars a day and every time they do it another criminal charge and another thousand dollars is fined against you so this is even applying to people that come off the street. You don't have to be a member. It's somebody who drives through town or is seeking God that Sunday and walks into the church. That is a criminal act, according to not only the governor, but now the city of Pasadena prosecutor's office threatening to enforce it as a criminal charge. So, uh, Matt, are, are you guys taking proactive action on behalf of this church to uh, to, to go after the city for, for trying to throw parishioners and pastors in jail for simply going to church? Absolutely, Tony. Uh, We have a federal lawsuit uh, pending right now. We're litigating that in the federal courts. And uh, just today we sent a response back to the Pasadena prosecutor. You know, the Pasadena city, like the governor, on the one hand are crushing churches. And this even applies in home Bible studies and fellowship with anybody who's not a resident of the home. At the same time, the city of Pasadena allows hundreds and hundreds of people to protest, and the governor allows tens of thousands, even up to 100,000 in the city of Los Angeles to protest. And not only does he allow it, he says this, quote, God bless you, keep doing it. Well, Matt, I know you also have served as a pastor, so this is not just coming from a legal perspective. You know that there is a, a biblical foundation on, yeah. That is really a mandate for for pastors for churches uh, to 
to stand you know, respectfully under the law. But we're seeing government officials going beyond the law, the Constitution, and, and someone has to stand up to them. Yeah, you know, Tony, I've been very careful about not confusing discrimination with persecution in our country because, uh, as you know, and you work internationally as well, our brothers and sisters are persecuted. They're arrested for going to Bible studies and fellowship in homes. And we haven't had that level. But if this is not persecution, I don't know what is. Um, this is criminalizing Christianity. And that's not some slogan. That's reality. Mm-hmm. If you do that in California, it is a criminal offense. You can go to prison. And we're getting people now threatened by prosecutors who have the ability to charge you to go into prison for simply having fellowship in a church or even in your own home. And it's not getting any better. They are continually moving forward. At some point in time, you have to say, and I think this is where we are now, enough is enough. Uh, You can't go across this line. This is not the jurisdiction of the state, either biblically, historically, or constitutionally. Caesar does not control worship. And for those people who say, well, you can just uh, worship in your homes, not in California. In 80% of the population, it's a no-worship ban. In the other 20%, it's no singing and chanting. And that's unconstitutional as well. Well, Matt, we're going to have to leave it there for now, but we're going to return to this and have you back on as this case unfolds. Uh, Absolutely time to sound the alarm. Matt Staver, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And, folks, thank you for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.